Thank you for tuning into Sochcast. We hope you enjoy this uninterrupted listening experience. But before that, please do listen to these messages that come from those that support your favorite show. Rajnayak's Talk Show Fridays Live features high-profile guests from various walks of life who engage in a free-flowing and inspiring chat with him. Good evening and welcome to Fridays Live with me Rajnayak. Today I have someone who most of you would have watched on primetime television. She is somebody who doesn't shy away from speaking truth to power. Her calm demeanor and her ability to focus on issues that really matter and have the courage and conviction to ask tough questions makes her extremely popular. Recipient of the Red Ink Awards for Excellence in Journalism, my guest this evening is none other than the ever-smiling Faith D'Souza. Faith, thank you for being here this evening. My pleasure, Raj. Uh, I was really happy to have received the invitation to, uh, to your Friday Live. So I'm thrilled to be here. I've uh, made myself a cup of chai. I'm and chili. This yeah. is my. I've, I've cut like time out of my day and we're going to chill. I'm really excited. That's really nice of you. You know, I've been in this industry for so many years and almost, I mean, almost every second journalist, at least in the television industry, I know personally. And for me, it was a difficult choice in choosing whom to get for my first episode, you know. I mean, from the, from the journalistic uh, fraternity. And, uh, and someday I'll tell you the reason why I chose you. But, Ooh, uh, see, now I'm curious. Now the journalist in me wants to push for the answer, but I'm not sure if we want to hear it. <laughs> well, I think, I'll tell you, I have no hesitation. I'll tell you, I think one of the things is because uh, you are extremely positive. You know, even in your journalism, one thing that you've managed to do is to be positive even when you're getting angry, you're positive. Even when you're upset, there's a, there's a demeanor. I mean, you manage to carry it in a way where you, people feel positive when they watch you. And that's a good thing. And in today's environment, I think it was very important to find a person who oozes in that positivity. And that's probably one of the reasons, besides many. Uh, <laughs> that's really kind. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, That's really nice. uh, yeah I know I, I was going to an Instagram account and yes. uh, I just saw that you've written that tree hugger. Yes. So what is tree hugger? So <laughs> I'm intrigued by it, very intrigued. <laughs> so the tree hugger, I mean, it means two things. One, obviously tree huggers are those people who stand in the way of the bulldozers and don't allow trees to be cut at all. Uh, environmentalists uh, are tree huggers, Chipko Andolan tree huggers. I'm also a literal tree hugger. I actually literally hug trees because <laughs> I love trees. Um, and I miss, uh, you know, when, when I was born, my parents used to have a farm in, in, in Chikmangalore. My dad was a coffee planter. So I have memories of just open spaces and trees and, you know, um, drying yards and things like that, which I really miss living in the big city. So I really love being around trees. So you're from Chikmangalore, is it? I'm Mangalorean. I grew up in Bangalore, but yes, I was born in Chikmangalore. I'm, yeah, it's my um, in, uh, in back back home we'd call it our uh, native place. So yes, yes. native place. <laughs> my of, you know, my brother was uh, working for a bank, and he was posted in a district in Chikmangalore, a place called Basrikatte. And uh, I, I've gone and spent uh, summer holidays with the family there, the Saldanas. I don't know whether you know them. They also own uh, 
plantations there. I went I'm, sure, I'm sure my parents and my grandparents would know. My grandparents used to live in Malendur, which was a district outside of Chikmagalore. And um, I spent every summer there uh, through my entire school year. So yes, very warm memories of Chikmagalore. So, so you speak Kannada fluently? Yes, I do. I speak Kannada, I speak Konkani. Um, and my Tulu is not very good though, unfortunately. My parents speak very good Tulu. But you should, I, I can speak Kannada, I can speak Tulu and Konkani. But Tulu is very useful, especially if you want to go and uh, get seats in any of the restaurants in Mumbai, you know. <laughs> Okay, so tell me, tell me, how many brothers and sisters are you? I mean, how many siblings are you? Uh, so we're four, all of us together. Uh, we were three, three girls and one boy. So I'm the third girl. So I have two older sisters and a younger brother. And uh, all of them similar line or doing something, helping? Oh, um, so I'm the odd one out. They're all working for banks. They're all bankers. Oh, same with my family. My, both my brothers were bankers. And uh, my oldest sister right now lives in Paris. Um, the other one lives in Dubai. And my brother is in Bangalore. And they're all bankers. They all work for banks. They're all in the finance line. I'm the only one who turned out to be the like odd apple. So then you moved to, from you did your schooling in Bangalore and then moved to Bangalore. No, so um, I did my, I did my, all of my schooling in Bangalore. Uh, my parents moved to Bangalore because we, obviously schools were better in Bangalore than they were um, in, in Chikmangalore where we were at the time. So all schooling in Bangalore, all college in Bangalore. I moved to Mumbai to work when I was 23, but I grew up completely in Bangalore. You and can hear it in my accent. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what made you choose journalism? Ah, okay. Um, so uh, when I was uh, 18 and I had actually, I remember, so this is a South Indian thing, right? So my parents or my mom wanted me uh, to study commerce and do an MBA because, you know, <laughs> because why not? And so I'd actually done in Bangalore, we don't have plus two. We have something called pre-university college, we call it PUC. So I'd actually enrolled for uh, a combination called statistics, maths, commerce and accounts because you can score 100 out of 103 out of four of those papers. And I did pretty decently. Wow. Uh, my, my scores were very good in my PUC, but I flipped on my parents and decided to do a BA instead of doing a BCom, which is like a shocker, right? It's like, oh, BA is like not at all of any use. But honestly, um, this was that romantic time for journalism. Uh, Pranoy Roy was reading the news every night at nine o'clock. Enram was writing in the papers. You know, we had stellar journalists doing work all around. Uh, Barkhadat was in Kargil at this time. You know, there was there was really strong. There were strong journalists on the ground doing really strong work, and uh, it was very easy to you know to sort of see yourself as okay. This is what I also want to do. So I decided when I was eighteen, I was going to be a journalist. Did you have so a crush on Pranoy? Sorry. Did you have a crush on Pranoy? 100%. You should ask me, do I still have a crush on <laughs> And the answer is 100%. I still have a crush on Pranoy. I think he's amazing. I think uh, his style is, you know, he's one of the, I remember when he was doing World This Week, uh, my dad would make it compulsory viewing. He would call us all, and, you know, we would have to sit and watch, listen to the good English, listen to the accent, listen to how this is done. So these were, uh, you know, these were the, the sort of adolescent and childhood foundations that were laid for so many of us. And uh, this is one of the reasons why I decided to be a journalist. And luckily for me, it worked out. 
you mentioned Pranoy and Barkhani. I mean, did, did you have any role model? Did you say, well, this is who I want to be, both national or international, as a journalist? I mean, did you have somebody like, this is who really, I want to be? As a journalist, obviously, uh, like I said, Enrav, I've always had great respect for. Uh, P. Sainath, I've had great respect for. Uh, Pranoy Roy. Uh, it's, uh, she, although she started off as a newsreader and then eventually become, became a chat show host, but I've always loved Oprah Winfrey for what she's she was able to do. And uh, what I love most about her is obviously the talent, but also she started off as a black woman at a time when there were no black women newsreaders. And she, at one point, and everybody thought it was complete madness that she had that job. But at one point she decided that she was going to quit the job and do something better. And people said she was mad because the, the fact that she had that job alone was, was something to be protected, but she believed in greater things. And I believe that all young women should believe in greater things. You should all believe in life, that there's more out there for you and you can achieve more. Great. I mean, uh, so tell me, uh, tell me your trajectory. I mean, you, I, somewhere I read that you started with, you did some uh, news reading for AIR, uh, yes. All India Radio. Yes. So, uh, so I did this yeah. when I was in Bangalore and I was doing my master's. I studied uh, journalism and mass communication. I got a part-time job with All India Radio and All India Radio has these contract, uh, you know, newsreaders and uh, radio jockeys. We do shifts. So I would do twice a week the late night shift, which was, I think, from um, 4.30 in the evening and we would finish at about midnight. And it included everything, including radio jockeying, playing music, reading the news and uh, answering the phone for the Kannada show when it was on. There would be one Kannada jock and one English jock. So we would take turns. So she would anchor for one hour and I would for one hour. But when she was anchoring and she was doing like a call-in show, I had to answer the phones and take down the notes. This is fun. So yeah, so I was an Akashwani Bengaluru newsreader. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Nimdu Karanathuba Chanai. So tell me, I mean, uh, and then from there what happened? Uh, so I finished my master's and um, I had interviewed, I, uh, I interviewed with CNBC. I hadn't actually thought that I would get into television. I always imagined I would either do print. I loved radio, but uh, radio, uh, and I had obviously worked at All India Radio. I interned at Red FM, but just around the time that I had come, finished my college, radio had become fully like Hindi Bollywood. My Hindi was really bad. So there was no room for me. You should to thank me. yourself for it. <laughs> so, and I happened to get a job at CNBC TV 18. One of my seniors from college um, helped me get that job. So I got a job as a producer and um, I was a reporter and get this, I reported on insurance for two years and I got, I think the insurance beat because it was the most boring beat and nobody else wanted it because it was like, who would want to report on insurance? But I loved it. Um, I was an insurance reporter for two years. I mean, who would think that you can go two years without running out of things to say about insurance? <laughs> but it's possible. So. I'm sure it has helped you today, right? It has. Um, I think it's sort of uh, one of the things about insurance, and I don't know, I don't think it's changed since then, and this was many, many years ago, was that there were a lot of aggrieved customers who weren't getting their payments, especially health insurance at that time. People who would pay premiums and then have their, you know, 
policies either lapse or have their claims uh, not be paid. So I spent a lot of time in consumer court. Um, I went to consumer court, I met the regulator, did a lot of consumer affairs sort of stories. And uh, I think that sort of, that put a foundation in for who I am today about how I feel about people's rights, what is your due as a citizen, and how nobody should be allowed to take that away from you. Doesn't matter how powerful that person is or how much access they have, you at the end of the day have certain rights as a citizen or a consumer or a taxpayer, and nobody can take that away from you. And then from CNBC, the, from Bangalore, you moved to Bombay. Uh, so I was, so in CNBC, CNBC actually at that time uh, allowed me to work in different cities. So I worked in Hyderabad, I worked in Bangalore, I worked in Delhi, and I moved back to Mumbai in 2008 uh, to join ET now. So I've been, so I've, I joined the Times Group in 2008 and I worked as the editor of personal finance for ET now for many years, uh, telling people where to invest their money, how to manage their real estate, how to like handle their taxes, things like that. Wow. And uh, yeah, and it, it was a, it, we did the country's longest running personal finance show about investing your money. I know, was, I know to call now when I need to do my financial planning. Yes. <laughs> so in a previous life, I used to tell people where to invest their money, but yes, you, you can absolutely call me. And I, I do believe the reason why I brought it up, um, now again on Instagram, is I believe we're entering a phase where money is going to mean very different things to all of us. It doesn't matter who you are, your relationship with money is going to change. And how you treat money and how money treats you back again is going to change post COVID. And we're going to need a lot of anyone who can give advice and anyone who can offer stability should at this point reach out and offer stability, especially to young people. Uh, young professionals who've been working for a year or two years. This is, they're going to need a lot of advice and stability right now. So Faye, what would be your advice today for people? If somebody has money, whatever savings they have, what would you advise them to do? Because people uh, are really scared, right? I mean, they don't know what to do with their money. So if you have money, first of all, you're in a good place you're better off than a lot of people in this country. So that's a good thing. So I know you're feeling anxiety, but take a deep breath and remember that it's not so bad because you're in a good place in comparison to a lot of other people. I also believe that the liquidity that we're feeling right now, because there's money in our bank accounts, might not be real because we've not gone out for 50 days, um, you know, 58 days actually now. You've not gone out, you've not watched a movie, you've not had a drink, you've not spent money on something random and impulsive, you've not put petrol in your car. So you've got money in your account because you've not spent that money, because nobody's given you an opportunity to spend that money. So you get this sense of, oh, I have a lot of money. That's not necessarily true. But if there are, a, so there are a lot of people who are now asking, oh, where should I invest? Should I put the money in right now? Should I buy stocks? What should we do? How do we game what is happening in the market? My personal advice and my heartfelt advice will be to do nothing. Um, I see financially, and I'm saying this clearly, I see financially, I see this COVID and lockdown as an earthquake, right? So the, and it's, it's long enough, but we don't know how much longer this is going for. So the earth is still shaking. And we don't know how many of these structures are going to be left standing at the end of it when the earth stops shaking. So I think that any real decision you make about your money 
you should do after the earth stops shaking and after we start working again and we know how many of us still have jobs how many of us are still getting paid the same amount of money what your savings are at the end of the month what your financial to get an idea of what your financial status is you're going to have to wait until all of this plays out so even if you jump in and invest in the stock market today we don't know if it's going to fall another 10 15 20% more than that less than that no clue so don't do anything at this point once this stops and you get a clearer sense of where you are financially then it makes sense to take a look at what the options are and you know what are what are the good options right now in the market so right now my advice is don't do anything so tell me how did the switch happen from finance to mainstream journalism from it now so um i had also started handling real estate for it now and the organization had decided that they wanted to launch a real estate channel at that point which would sort of be the television equivalent of the times property supplement that comes with your times of india newspaper where developers can sort of advertise for their new projects so i wrote the plan for that uh, you know for that project so the entire structure of what the team will be like what the content will be like what the costs will be like when we'll break even the projections for the next few years pitching it to um, uh you know to partners in the beginning and we got magic bricks on as a partner and uh actually putting that entire team together and putting that channel on air i headed that project and we did really well because um i believe for a really small team of some 35 people um we made a dent so the show that we were doing urban debate was a show on the property channel That's which brilliant. is why it's called urban debate it was supposed to be about people buying and selling houses and then it became about what happens after you buy the house and how the road and the electricity and the safety and the water is all part of owning homes and we saw a great amount of response to that content because um, and when we done this research back then that uh, at that point prime time was largely talking about what's happening in pakistan or they were talking about yeah, this talking about what's happening in pakistan it's true you know when uh, <laughs> i actually you know in, in a pitch where i told uh, when i was asked why do we need one more national channel and i was like we it really nice to have one <laughs> it's actually talking about india so the idea was to talk about what's going on in our lives right so when you leave your house in the morning how much time do you spend in traffic every day um what is the quality of the air you're breathing what is the quality of the schooling we're offering our kids what is the quality of the healthcare the uh, you know the water the safety in our cities this comes into your life and yes there is the whole politics and this and that happened on the national level that also happens but i believe that this what, what how each of us lives in our city is a far more real thing that deserves far more attention i mean we've all made joked about this the fact that we pay the same amount um, as people in in paris and new york and all of these other cities do and the quality of life is completely different and i think that if anything covid has actually exposed those weaknesses weaknesses in our healthcare system weaknesses in our entire like you know societal structures that we have built it shows us that we should spend more time talking about these things and less time talking about you know our geopolitical neighbors and so then you took over as editor in chief of uh, the moment yes. yeah so so actually honestly the real estate market tanked 
around this time that we had this real estate channel. And now it was really difficult to sort of figure out what we're going to do uh, with the channel. And since we already had response for the content, um, we made a case to launch a channel that carries more of this content and sort of complements what was already in the market and offer the audience a completely different point of view on general news. So the channel flipped then from being a real estate channel to being a news channel and we launched Mirror Now. And this was three years ago. So the idea was to do journalism that matters to individuals, matters to what happens in your life and your family's life. And you really touched a chord because I think uh, that's something that a lot of people, at least I used to watch it regularly as long as you were there. And, you know, uh, and uh, within two years time, you took the channel to a completely new level, you know, completely differentiated product in the marketplace. Uh, but then you had another channel within the same group, right? Yes. And sometimes there was divergent views. Almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you manage that? Well, uh, for most of the time, there was a Chinese. I mean, I didn't, I, I wasn't accountable for what was running on any of the other channels. I was only accountable to what was running on my channel. So for as long as I was the editor, I would make calls. I would take calls on what we wanted to run and I would defend those calls. Uh, so, I mean, I didn't have to, I didn't have to answer to the other guys and they didn't have to answer to me. So we actually were running two separate uh, sort of, you know, siloed outfits without really having to, uh, agree on anything, which was, you know, which is why we wound up in separate directions. So, say you always, you know, uh, as I mentioned in my introduction, spoken truth to power, you've always been courageous to say things as it is, black and white, no shades of grey. I mean, where did that come from? I mean, from childhood, were you like that? Were you one of those bold? Uh, no, actually, you know, um, oddly enough, I was a very quiet child. Um, I had really large glasses from the time I was in the first standard. Um, I was a little bit of an introvert. So in all family gatherings, uh, you know, where there are these big parties where uncles and aunts all get together, I would always carry a book and find a quiet corner behind a staircase or, you know, somewhere in the corner where I would sit and read until I was called for dinner. So I wasn't actually much of a, you know, a very loud or, uh, you know, a vocal child. I don't really know where it comes from. Um, I do know that my parents had sort of instilled in all of us the idea of being honest, uh, of how important the truth is, of how important hard work is. And so I've always felt that you should either just be honest with what you're doing or don't do it at all. There's no point in, you know, in doing a dishonest job. And I think that those are the values of, you know, the, the good old middle class values that sort of... Uh, stick with us when, you know, when these tough questions come up. So Faye, you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, but at the peak of your career, when the channel was doing great, you just decided to quit. Well, um, yes. <laughs> if that's was that something to do with the, <laughs> I'm not betting on, uh, but was that something to do with the stand you took, independent stand you took as a editor-in-chief or was it just that you well, let me tell you, uh, let me, let me put it to you this way. I believed that if I went out and did my own independent journalism, I would be able to do a far more honest job than uh, the space that television allows now. 
quite honestly, and you know this better than I do. I mean, I'm hardly someone who should be telling you uh, how television works right now, but specifically to do with news, we'd reached a point where the money that was coming in was not covering the costs for any of these channels. And we know that to be true. Uh, the system is broken. The audience is no longer paying for the news that they're watching. The, the advertiser is paying for the news. So as a result, the customer, the true customer who is being serviced is the advertiser and not the audience. The audience is the commodity. And I keep saying this. So the relationship that an audience member has with a TV channel is the relationship that chicken has with real good chicken. You are the commodity. You good are the example, yeah. <laughs> that they're cutting up and putting in boxes and selling to somebody else, right? So they don't care what's good for you. They don't care uh, what's good for society, whether they're treating your intelligence with respect, whether they're treating your democracy with respect, whether they're treating your, um, your emotions with respect. And we know this, that advertisers don't give a damn about the quality of the journalism that they're sponsoring. They give the money to the highest TRPs. So TRP number one and TRP number two get all of the money. And they're doing really, really poor journalism both number one and number two are doing really poor journalism and everybody else is getting crushed by it. And let's also be honest about the fact that in a bad market, which started about a year ago and it's gotten worse now with COVID, there are no advertisers. The biggest advertiser in news right now is the government. And so now the chicken is being sold to the government. The government is the true customer who is being serviced because that's the only money that's coming in. Uh, this is why these channels have these large conclaves where they invite ministers and only if the ministers come will the advertisers come. And so now you've, you've whipped yourself into such a tight knot where you cannot allow for any honest journalism or hard questioning to happen because the government will pull the plug and you will no longer get Janitme Jari PSA advertisement money. You will no longer get all of the money that is spent around elections and there are elections in our country every few months. So as a result, television news, because it's so expensive and chunky, because it's so dependent on advertising and because the biggest advertiser is the government is not doing honest work anymore. If the system is broken, it can no longer allow honest work. And a lot of people use this works, use say sold out media, right? People are not, it's not a question of, oh, okay, someone's going to give me money if I say this. What is happening right now is that your sheer existence depends on whether or not you are able to please government. And if you are not able to please government, you are then an impediment in the chicken assembly line. You're, you're in the way and you're going to have to get out of the way because that's the system. The only way for you to know if the journalism that you're consuming is good is if you are paying for it. And if the journalist who is working is indebted to you, because if I start putting out bad work and you stop paying, then I'm out of business. That's the only way to do it. Because the way we're doing it right now, there's so much sleight of hand in television that you don't know who's paying for the news. You're not paying for the news. So why would anybody give you any news that is, you know, that respect? yeah, I, you know, so I only, the only way to get TRPs is to come in every night and whip up emotions to, you know, to ridiculous things and to make you feel unsafe and to make you hate somebody else and to make you hate another community. That is what is happening night after night after night. So that's why. You grew up with this whole dream of journalism and you'd seen 
the kind of journalists and things like that. So what you just told me, does this dishearten you? Does this somewhere, do you feel sad about it? I Terribly, terribly, it's heartbreaking. Um, I believe because, and this is really important. Um, I believe because when television or when any journalist, when any sort of journalism puts out content that is dividing society, that is demonizing certain communities, that is fundamentally based on false information. A lot of what you are watching on television is false information. That is really dangerous, targeting certain communities. It basically leaves impressions. It rips society down the middle. You create fertile ground for rioting. You create fertile ground for lynching. You create fertile ground for anger. And that has real life impacts. People lose lives. People lose property. Uh, I don't think, I mean, if these journalists want to come in day after day and do this, that's on their conscience. But they should also know that every time there is a riot, like what we had in Delhi, every time there's lynching on the street, that they are in some way responsible, that there is blood on their hands. And they should be aware of that because that's the price we are paying for when we allow for this sort of journalism. We're effectively allowing them to sell our democracy and our societal peace for TRPs. And that shouldn't be okay in any country. So Faye, now you branched out on your own. So tell me, what are you doing? Because I kept, I see you on Instagram. I watched you doing a show on Instagram. I saw you on YouTube. And then, uh, then you're doing something called the good news. So you're different, doing different things. So what exactly are you doing now? All right, so, um, so I'm super excited. We're ready almost to launch if, uh, you know, we are, uh, the brand is ready, but the work is already begun and I didn't want to wait. So um, the idea is we are going to be um, an online platform that will be available on various, so it's not, you know, it, we won't be limited to any one sort of this thing. We will be available wherever you are. So on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, wherever you are, we'll be there. It will be a subscriber based online platform that will give you the news only on information. So if you see what, what I'm doing on Instagram right now, I'm just posting the information. Okay. This happened today. This happened today. You decide how you want to feel about it. So there's no outrage. There's no anger. I'm not telling you how to feel. I'm not telling you who to hate. I'm not telling you whether this is good or bad. All the information is there. It's even toned. Um, the idea is to keep the tone of the content really simple so that people can consume this information and decide how they want to feel. Um, I believe that the biggest responsibility we have right now um, as journalists is to be able to inform young people. We have the world's largest community of young people in this country who are voters and who are custodians and stakeholders in the future of this country informing them in a responsible, even-toned way is the responsibility. And that is what I want to take forward. So all of the work that you just talked about is all part of that. One, posting on social media, you know, just information when it happens. It's not breaking. It's not happening first. It's not telling you before anybody else. It's just telling you in a you know plain pointed fashion like this happened today. Telling you also um, things about in-depth stories about climate change, about healthcare, about education, about police reforms, things that actually come into our lives, that affect our lives, mental health, 
um, LGBTQI rights, women's rights, stuff that young people truly, really care about at this point, um, which we don't have enough conversations about. Honestly, we, I will launch an organization that is going to be about the India we want to be, the India that's going to happen in the future. We'll look forward to science and technology, to innovation, to how we're going to beat the problems that we have. How are we going to innovate education, healthcare? I don't want to have conversations about Mandir Masjid, honestly. I don't want to go backwards and talk about, uh, you know, whether um, Gaumutra is going to solve our problems. I want to look forward at the country that we are going to be, uh, a more open society, a more progressive society, uh, education that reaches every single person, healthcare that reaches every single person, that sort of future. And I believe that this is what a lot of young people, a lot of urban Indians care about right now. Uh, urban India wants to see an India that's moving forward. And we need to push conversations that will take us there. We need to push uh, stories, news, demand, you know, services from our government about what will take us there. So that's the, that's the felt need and the social need of, of what we will be. We'll be freemium plus subscribed. So a lot of the in-depth stories, like the one that you saw uh, that a lot of people saw on KEM that we went out and did on the medical sector. Uh, these are in-depth stories. And we'll bring you stories that nobody else is talking about. We'll bring you really in-depth, deeply researched. One on LGBT as well last week, I saw it. Yes, yes, yes. So the idea is to just spend time and energy and, you know, research and put, you know, put together really old, you know, good journalism, strong values, and be able to deliver good work. Uh, we put out a, a, a long form story on uh, KEM hospital this week. Um, and it's done, I think, 145,000 views on YouTube in the last two days. And I'm so pleased because the kind of love that it's getting and the response it's getting gives me confidence that this is something the audience wants. Um, we went out and quite honestly, we shot on my iPhone and we've been editing on our laptops. But it's the um, and, and we just felt that because there's a story brewing in Mumbai's hospitals that nobody is telling right now because nobody's going to Mumbai's hospitals to ask what's going on. So this is what I mean, actually going in there, rolling up your sleeves, spending time, spending research, coming out with something that's of true value to the audience. And to have that so well received by the audience really, I mean, it made my month because it shows me that we're on the right track. And, you know, the plan that we have um, is something that the audience really wants, society really wants at this point. So uh, for me, actually, personally, the KEM story or the response is a turning point because now I'm like, now I'm ready to go. Now I'm like, okay, we're on the right track. Let's do this. Hey, uh, I really, really wish you the very best. But, you know, you know you'll be surprised to know if you ask for volunteers to come and work with you free in your organization, you'll get plenty. You've got a huge following of the youngsters. They just love you. And I'm telling you that. You should know. And uh, I, should, I should tell you this. I'm so excited. Um, I've got enough and I've been working on this now for the last couple of months. I've had, I mean, some of the stellar talent in the industry, uh, design companies, my lawyers, my tax consultants, uh, the guys who are writing the code for the website have all come forward. And these are the top names in the industry have all come forward and they're giving us this help completely free of cost because they believe in the cause. And I've got a lot of young people writing to me saying, you know, can we come and intern? Can we come and work with you? And it's amazing how deeply people feel about this and how much of a difference we can make. So 
Um, I can't tell you how pleased I am. I mean, I'd love to show you the logo because we're ready to launch soon, but we've got such great work happening on the logo, on animation, on, uh, you know, our tax guys are awesome. What's your brand called? Ah, so I, I'll tell you in a bit, we're ready to launch in a bit, but it's... it's, it's I tried, I tried. You can't say I didn't try. So, yes. So right now, if people want to follow you, where do they follow you? On what's that? Uh, find me on all social media. It's at Faye D'Souza, F-A-Y-E-D-S-O-U-Z-A. So I'm on Facebook, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Instagram, and I'm on Twitter. Um, for young people who want to intern or work with me, um, there isn't a lot of money in journalism, but there's a lot of heart. So uh, this, it's a good place to start your career. Um, just write to me. I'm at Faye gmail.com, all smalls. Uh, send me your CV and we'll figure out how we can do this together. So we're looking to partner also with freelance journalists across the country because I believe that in the last couple of years, a lot of great journalists have stepped out and decided to become independent. And so we have people working in the Northeast, in Coimbatore, in Trivandrum. And I, I would love to sort of build a carpet where we all partner and create, you know, be able to bring authentic news in from all of these places. So I want to, we will create uh, with time an entire page of what, uh, you know, an entire team of members of the LGBTQI community who write about what's happening in that community, uh, members of the Dalit community who write about what's happening in their community, because I believe that it is only members of those communities who can truly tell their own stories and it's time to pass the mic. So. This, this is the vision for what we're going to build in the future. Very nice. I mean, I mean, I'm just throwing this idea at you because you can do that same thing with regional language and Hindi and everything. So it doesn't necessarily have to be English. So your no, brand can be that, that much. No, that's, true. that's true. And uh, like I said, that, like, there are a lot of great journalists who are working in different parts of the country. So my aim, so, okay, so this is my long-term uh, sort of ambition. Okay, this is the mad, this is the crazy ambition. So I'm putting that out there before I tell you what it is. I want to be able to create a platform in the future where independent journalists in any language, whether you're a photographer, a documaker, anything that is not fiction, you're a journalist, you can upload and you get paid based on the number of views or the hits or, you know, based on the support you get from your audience. So basically, you can be, you don't have to be part of a large organization in order to be a journalist. You can be a journalist wherever you are, to whatever extent. If you want to just report what's going on in Coimbatore, that's fine. This is a platform that, you know, that will pay for that. So, you know, right now, and I also think that um, the other thing that, that COVID and the lockdown has exposed is how badly journalists are treated in this country. I mean, journalists at the end of the day is a social service. People have been fired from their jobs after 20 years, 15 years, 10 years with one day's notice. They've just been, you know, the entire teams have been wrapped up and they've been told to go. They've not been given severance. They have not been given notice. I think that's really unfair. And I hope that at some point we can create a platform where independent journalists can get paid for their work without having to sign on with one of these large organizations and compromise in any way. Okay, so, hey, suppose, uh, suppose you were, if you didn't, hadn't become a journalist, okay. what, would, what would you have become? Politics? <laughs> I don't know. I was, you know, I was thinking teacher, but okay. <laughs> uh, 
um, I don't know, maybe I'll do something with food. Um, or okay, let's go to the fun stuff. So tell me, since you mentioned food, are you a foodie? I'm a complete foodie. What Mangalorium is not a foodie. So, so tell me things about you that we don't know. Because last week I had Poonam Mahajan on the show and uh, I discovered that she's a pilot. I discovered that she is a dancer. And so, so tell me your hidden secrets. People, that's not in the public domain. Um, I sang in the choir for about 16 years. Is that, is that a surprise? <laughs> I'm a complete foodie. Um, I can do excellent Mangalorean food. So my fish curry rice is not bad. Um, let me see, what else do you not know about me? Mm, I completely love animals. I have, um, I'm very comfortable around cows because I grew up around cows. Uh, so I'm like... Same here. Genuine Gaurakshaks, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and let me see, so I don't know, what else do you not know about me? Oh, I love to drive. Um, and um, I, I am the antithesis to the general assumption that women are bad drivers because I'm a better driver than most men I know. That's nice. I mean, do you, do you used to drive to work as well? Every day, yes. Um, I used to drive to work. Uh, both my husband and I are um, really into long drives. So, you know, we, we would love to just get into the car and Take, we take two hour intervals and we just drive out. We love it. In fact, we had made this plan to drive to Kashmir and Ladakh this year, which we haven't been able to do because of uh, because yeah. of the lockdown. But hopefully we can get on the road again very soon. So tell me, where did you meet your husband? Like all media people at work, <laughs> in the office. That's so true. I met my wife at work. Well, see, people in the media never leave the office. There's no opportunity to meet anybody outside. This is just an eventuality. So if your kids are going to join the media, know that they're going to eventually marry your colleague because there's no choice. Um, yeah, so we met at work. We were actually colleagues from, we've been colleagues through the entire, my entire working life in CNBC, then again in ET now. Um, and then we got married in 2010. Uh, but we were only dating for about six months before that. But yeah. it's, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of very accomplished uh, women have said that the most important decision you make in your life is your choice of spouse. And I, I agree. I think having someone who believes in your career and uh, believes in the fact that your job is... It's true for men as well, you know. Yeah. It works both ways. Yes, yes. That support system is everything. Uh, to have someone who believes that, you know, you can do great things is, is everything. Yeah, and gives you the space. So tell me, I mean, here's a news and you know, the things you cover, it's very stressful. So what do you do to unwind yourself? Um, so I have a, so, so the first, so the interesting thing about changing jobs was that I went out and adopted a dog. Wow. I have the most lovely dog in the whole world. She was unfortunately abandoned and was living on the streets and, saw, and an NGO found her and rehabilitated her and we adopted her. What have you so named she, her? She's called Phoebe. Phoebe, okay. After the friend's character who also lived on the street. So that's why she's called Phoebe. She's really funny and she's my stress buster. Uh, so Phoebe and I take really long walks in the morning. And uh, she's, you know, she's, I think pets are a good way to sort of just, you know, forget about what's going on in the world. Yeah. Um, also, 
I mean, I like to do yoga. I find cooking is a stress buster. I, you know, I'm, I'm able to sort of compartmentalize and switch off when I'm doing something else. So, uh, for example, if I'm doing jadu then or pocha, if I'm specific or swabbing, then I'm able to sort of only focus on what I'm doing. So it's a good way to sort of shut your brain down for a bit. So everything that's, that's not journalism. Yeah. And holidays, I mean, where do you normally go for your holidays? Do you have any favorite destination or something? My, my favorite destination is Kashmir. Um, I would normally go to Kashmir at least once a year and I haven't been actually for the last year or and a half. I mean, since, since what, since the lockdown happened in Kashmir. Um, but Kashmir is my favorite place. My sister lives in Paris. So, um, I love going to Paris because you know, who doesn't the food and just the music and everything about Paris. Um, I also really love Africa. Um, Africa is a great place for a holiday. They have excellent beaches. Um, the wildlife is fantastic. Um, the trees are good if you like to hug trees. <laughs> All the oldest trees in the world are in Africa. So Africa is fantastic. Um, Kenya particularly. You hug them because they are big. Yes, they're huge. It's like huge trees, yes. So, so tell me, uh, Faye, uh, I'm just wrapping up, so on a positive note. So tell me, uh, in today's day and age, one of the biggest things I think, you know, I mean, I keep telling every people, we should be grateful for what we have, you know. So what does gratitude mean to you? Oh, okay. Um, everything. So, uh, so if I, if I can tell a slightly longer story, right? So my dad used to talk to us a lot about what he believed in when we were kids. And some of those things really stuck. So two things he said to me that really stuck uh, was, one of the things he said was that uh, your conscience is your gift from God. Nobody in the world has met God or knows God any more than you do, right? You have a direct line in your heart, which is your conscience where you can hear instructions. And if you listen carefully, that voice will become louder and louder. If you ignore it, it will become softer and softer. So he told me the story about how it's like a triangle inside your heart that turns every time you do something wrong. And if you pay attention to it, then that will hurt. But if you don't pay attention to it, it will keep turning and the sides will wear off and become round and it will no longer be useful. So you have to be really careful to pay attention and listen to your conscience. And that's one thing. And the other thing he said is that instead of, um, you know, you have to know your place in the universe. So there's so much going on in the universe. And you're such a small bit of it that kneeling down and praying for things to happen to you that, oh, please, I wish I get this or I wish I get that is pointless because nobody's going to switch around the universe for you. But what you should do instead is be grateful for every single thing. So be grateful for the family, be grateful for the food, be grateful for the comfort. But most importantly, be grateful for every time you laughed today. And every time you smiled and every time you felt loved and appreciated and cherished, because those are the things really that will take you through life. Um, the people around you who make you feel special. So that actually just stuck with me. The idea that we are, you know, we're in the larger scheme of things, we are just a speck. But if you gather the moments during your day where you felt special, where the people around you, you know, made you feel special, that's something to be grateful for. So tell me if you were given the power to change the mindset of people in this country for a day, what's that one change would you make? Oh gosh, okay. Um, 
I would want to remove the idea of inequality. Um, I'm a firm believer in the fact that the constitution tells us we're all equal, right? So unfortunately, we don't really action that in our lives. The fact that we believe that people who have less money than us is not, are not equal to us. So people who are from a different sexuality or people from the LGBTQI community are not equal to us in some way. The caste system makes us unequal in some way. Um, India is a very ambitious country where everybody's like working really hard and that's fantastic. And we'll do really well because we work so hard, but we have a really tight idea of what is acceptable. We leave behind people who are physically or mentally challenged in any way. We leave behind people who are elderly or people who are looking after elderly. We leave behind people who cannot enter our spaces because they're in a wheelchair or, you know, they have some other challenges. Um, we leave behind people of castes, people of uh, gender identity. So if we could in some way find a way to be more equal, I think that we could be a superpower. And you know, there's actually research that supports that, that India wastes a lot of talent by leaving it out, by shutting the door on it. So if I could change people's minds, I'd change their minds about that. Very nice, very nice. Uh, Faye, uh, before I let you go, I just want to address all the viewers who are watching today. Thank you very much for watching. Faye Dizra is going to be here. I'm going to talk to her for another two minutes. Uh, so stay with us. Meanwhile, thank you so much for watching. And if you like what you saw, please feel to, free to share it on your Facebook or, or social media so that people get to see what Faith Souza has to say. And uh, I need all your love, all your support to make Friday's Live with Raj Naik uh, more successful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Faith, last, my, before you go, one question to you. Uh, what does happiness mean to you? And what are the three things that make you happy? Oh, okay. Uh, so happiness to me is a job well done. Um, I like to feel at the end of the day, ki, yaar, kya kaam kya, mazaya. Like, it was a really good day. We did something good. Uh, you know, that idea of being tired at the end of the day because you've done so much work. That's really my happy place. Um, so I suppose family, friends and uh, laughter is, is happiness. I just, I enjoy, you know, sharing um, space, sharing time, sharing food. <laughs> uh, <laughs> lockdown is over, I'm going to come over for nice Mangalorean food. 100%. 100%. That's a deal. <laughs> Faye, thank you so much for being here today. I'm sure the viewers have loved this and truly it was so much fun speaking to you and all the best for your new venture and whatever help, whatever support I can be of any help. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you so much. Now, see, that is a ticket to ride. When Raj Nayak says that he's going to help it anyway, now I'm going to like, now I'm set. No, but thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was a really, uh, really wonderful conversation. Brilliant questions. Um, and I really enjoyed being part of this. So no, guys, I was going to speak to you, Sazway. I was like, she's the person who should be asking me questions. And I'm going to ask her questions today, you know, but... And I'm glad that one hour has passed by. Yes, so quickly. I mean, I, you said, oh, it's time to wrap up. And I was looking at the time. I was like, really? Wow. Okay. <laughs> that was a quick. So it, it, it's always nice when you run out of time. It means that the interview went really well. <laughs> Thank you, Faye. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Raj. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this Sochcast. 
What is your soch? Send us your comments on our Facebook page and Instagram page. It's time for you to do your own Sochcast. At Sochcast, apni soch dunia ko sunao. Sochcast.